Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Hey, um, we're starting a new series tonight and uh, it's called Life Hacks. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at some, some basic and simple things that when applied into our lives actually, you know, make all the difference, make all the change into our lives. I don't know if you've noticed, one of the byproducts of social media is that um, everyone, it's provided a platform for everyone to be able to share their creativity, to be able to share their ideas. Some people are sharing the sorts of things out of their life that just kind of, you know, uh, well, opinions and other stuff. I heard it said that some people are giving a piece of their mind that they cannot afford to really lose. But, uh, you know, one of the benefits that's come out of uh, everyone having a voice is there's this platform really to share the creativity that people have been getting. And uh, some of these we call life hacks. So by definition, a life hack is usually a simple or a clever tip or technique for accomplishing something familiar task more easily and efficiently. Life hacks are about eliminating the many frustrations with simple and clever ways of doing things. The best come involving, you know, tricks that are free, they're efficient, stunningly obvious in retrospect, you know, you go, I never would have thought, but true. Deploying household items, humble household items, like the, you know, the simple and humble toilet roll, empty toilet roll, for purposes beyond their wildest aspirations, and some life hacks are just simply stupid. Now, I'm about to show you a few, and I can guarantee there'll be at least a few people who actually leave to try some of these things, because that's just the way we're made, right? We'll see these and we'll go, yeah, I can do that. Let's have a look at this first one. So why bother getting a Bluetooth speaker when you can do that, right? Just take the toilet roll and just, you know, pop it on a couple of pins, why? Because that probably doesn't work so well. That's why you get a Bluetooth speaker. But anyway, let's go to the next one. Have a look. Now, this, I think, has got merit, okay? Because who's been to the beach and you go, I'll put my valuables in my bag, but what if someone just comes and steals the bag while I'm in the surf? Yeah, ever thought about that? Probably don't care. Don't have valuables. I don't know, either way. Um, or, you know, there's stuff in there. But this, look at this. This is great. Just take the top off an old bottle, clean it out, put your valuables inside of that. And Well, Bob's your uncle. I, I like that one. That's a, that's a keeper. I'm going to actually do that. Uh, next one. Yeah, now you all know. If you come to the beach with me, you know what to take, my sunscreen. This is just stupid. That's stupid. You never, like if you do that, you could be called stupid. Um, yeah, no, that, someone likes that? Oh, who likes that? Oh, you serious? Oh, wow. This is, see, this is why social media works. Okay, let's go to another one, I think. Um, yeah, look, there's your toilet. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. Wildest expectations, that toilet roll never thought it would turn into a, something to sustain life towards the future. Let's go to the next one. Boom. Mic drop right there. See, someone just said, what? What they mean is, what's a CD? 
That's, that's what some of you are saying. What's a CD? Like, what are those things? Like, where do we take them? And some are saying, what's a bagel? Um, you know, but, but there it is. I reckon that could fit in. I like that. Look at that. There it is. Turn something old into something new. Most life hacks, they come with adjectives like, you know, life-changing, amazing, incredible. And really, they aren't always so incredible, but there is a lure that something's going to make life easier, something's going to make life more efficient, something's going to make life a little better. And I think we like the idea of life hacks because that's what they do. These simple, cheap, efficient ways of accomplishing something, it's a, um, a familiar task, but doing it so in an easier, better way. But it seems like in society, we crave for this right across our lives. We're looking at more simple things. We like to avoid the challenge. We like to avoid the things that are harder. And I think the problem with that is that sometimes the things in life that produce the best character are the harder things that we have to walk through in life. They're the things that cause us some of the pain. But at the same time, while the Christian life Life is not about um, avoiding difficult character producing circumstances. We have promises in the scripture that are full of blessing and joy and life giving promises that indeed do change the way we live life. So, as we step into this series called Life Hacks, these aren't necessarily ways of avoiding difficulty, but I really do believe that as we talk about some of the things that I think are fun, foundational to living a more fruitful and blessed life and apply these in seemingly easy ways when we look at these things that you'll know are familiar to us. We're going we're to talk tonight about hope. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about thankfulness. And these are the things that if we take and we apply them to our lives, I think in a biblical life hack setting, they open us up to a life that could be fruitful beyond measure, beyond understanding. In fact, to the point where the fruitfulness that lays hold within our own lives when these apply can actually shift culture. They can change what's happening in and around us. In Ephesians 2 verse 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. That is not just a doctrinal statement. This is the opportunity for every follower of Jesus to experience the reality of his presence, to experience Christ so that we might think from a heavenly perspective. We are being given an invitation to live life from a heavenly perspective, from a different set of understanding, a different way of thinking about circumstance and life that we are in. The invitation is to live in the consciousness of the presence of God and in that place from the reality of that kingdom to this one about thinking differently, having a renewed mind, Paul talks about. And the effectiveness, the purpose, and ultimately the true joy of our life is found by living a life that is rooted in faith and hope and love and thankfulness and generosity. These things form a simple and powerful root for all we do, and they have the power to change the world around us. So tonight we kick off with hope. 
What is it when you think about hope? What's a definition that might spring to your mind that you think, hope, what's hope all about? Well, there's three common ways in which we, we talk about hope. The first one is that there's a desire for something good in the future. Children might say, I hope dad gets home early enough to play cricket before dinner. You see, what they're doing, in other words, is a desire for their dad to get home early so they can experience a good thing, namely playing together before dinner. Another way we might use the word hope is a thing of the future that we actually desire. Our hope is that mum will arrive safely. In other words, mum's safe arrival is the object of our hope, that when she arrives safely, that's our desire, that's our hope that we have. The last way in which we, we look at this in a way of hope within a worldly sense is the, the basis or reason for thinking that our desire may indeed be fulfilled. In other words, uh, you know, the only way of arriving home on time is with a good tailwind. We're putting our hope in the fact that there will be a tailwind because that's the only hope we have left after all the baggage stuff ups and the delays that we've encountered at the way through of this plane arriving on time. That's what we hope for, this tailwind. And all three of these uses are found in the Bible and commonly they're the sorts of way in which hope will be expressed Maybe from your lips, maybe from the lips of other people when you're in conversation talking about real things in life. But the most important feature of biblical hope is actually not present in any three of those ordinary uses of the word hope. In fact, the distinctive meaning of hope in Scripture is almost the opposite to that ordinary use of the word hope. I don't mean in scripture that there's a, a, a desire for something bad instead of something good to happen. And I don't mean that scripture hope, hope is, the, is a rejection of good instead of desiring it. It's not the opposite in those sense. It's the opposite in the sense that ordinary, when ordinarily used, we use the word hope, we express an uncertainty, whereas biblical hope expresses certainty. When we use hope generally, we're expressing an uncertainty. I sure hope dad gets home early enough so we can play before dinner. It's a hope, it's not actually certain. Biblical hope comes with certainty. Ordinarily, we express hope that way, but biblical hope, it's not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. A confident expectation. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And not only expects it to happen, it's confident that it actually will. You see, faith and hope are linked together. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, Pastor Joe's going to be preaching on faith. So I'm not trying to steal his message here, but I, I, I want to set him up to have a win in his message about faith because hope is inexplicably linked towards faith. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. 
In Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. See, faith is real. Faith is tangible. It has substance. And hope is like the precursor to faith. It leads the way to faith. It opens the door so that we might step through in faith. This is what biblical hope does. In fact, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that faith wouldn't exist without hope. Faith wouldn't exist without hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Look to the screen. It says, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, in context, it's saying with all the zeal of the past that's enabled you to work and to love in the name of Jesus, with all that passion, with all of that zeal, keep on pursuing the full assurance of hope to the end. There is no fight, there is no quest, there is no war more urgent than this. Keep your hope hot. Keep your hope hot. Hold on to your hope. Know this song? As your triumph unfolds, He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And we sing it. I think sometimes we sing it, but we don't have biblical hope. We're singing it with a non-biblical hope. We're just kind of... Oh, gee, I hope Dad gets home in time to play before dinner, kind of hope. But, but we, sing, we sing that song, Hold On To Your Hope, as your triumph unfolds, because we know that while we wait for the triumph to unfold, where are we? we? He is in the waiting. We are in Him who becomes our assurance of the hope that we have. Because it's like faith that you'll learn about in a few weeks' time. It's not so much that how much faith you have. It's not how much hope you have. It's who is your hope and faith secure in. It's in the name of Jesus. And this is a confident hope. It's not a finger-crossing hope. It's not a lip-biting gaze towards the future. Like you're watching your favorite football team and hoping they'll just slot that magical field goal through at the end of the game to win by a point. It's not that kind of hope. In fact, verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 6 implies that hope and faith are almost synonymous. Notice the connection. In verse 11 it says, Go hard after full assurance of hope. Show diligence right to the very end so that your hope will be fully realized. And then in verse 12, it says the result of that pursuit of hope, the result of the zeal you put into hope, the result of all of that will be like those whose faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Pursue hope so that you can be like men and women of faith. Pursue hope so you can be men and women of faith. Hope is something that should not waver because it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. Good news, huh? Good news because we too often think both hope and faith are all about us. But they're not. Hope and faith are all about Him. In the Old Testament, the, the word for, for hope is tikwa. And that's the, the most translated word, common Hebrew word that is translated to English word of hope. And literally, tikwa means a cord, like a rope, a cord. Figuratively, it means hope. It means this expectation, the thing that I long for. It's, a, it's like a line that connects us to the things we are in faith for. Now, here's a picture that I hope will cement this in your brain. I've actually used this illustration before. It's the best thing I can think of to give you an understanding of how hope and faith are linked and the importance of the two of them, and particularly hope, as that's what we're talking about tonight. Now, did you know that Australia is one of the, the largest uh, na per capita nations of the world that likes to go on cruises? Did you know that? Apparently so. Hey, come on, be real with me. Who's been on a cruise? Put up your hand. Come on, keep it up, keep it up. Don't be ashamed. It's a good thing. You can go in my place. I have no desire, but I'm, I'm glad for you. I'm happy for you. And if you go on one of those, you know that when you arrive at the dock, you're walking up your gangplank to be able to get onto this massive, great big ship, right? That, that's there to take you all on the best time you've ever had in your life, right? And so here it is, and you jump on board. But that big, massive ship that's thousands of tons of steel is connected to the dock by ropes that are about this big. They're called mooring lines. Let's have a look, there should be a picture, there they are. Now that's obviously not your cruise ship, that's a very cheap cruise, if you are going on a ship, yeah. Some of you might say, that's my kind of cruise, you know, that's what I can afford. But see, sometimes there's only six or eight of those lines that are actually holding that whole ship onto the dock. Those mooring lines are about 10 centimeters in diameter, they're about this big, right? And our faith is like those mooring lines. It holds us tight to what we believe. That's what faith does. It holds us tight to what we believe. The thing is, though, that even though those lines are relatively small to be able to hold such a, a massive ship, they're too big for someone on the ship because you're talking about rope this thick that needs to travel from the ship all the way down 30, 40, 50 meters maybe down over the side and down onto the dock. You can't possibly pick rope up like that and throw it that far. And so what they do is they, they throw out a line, it's called a messenger line, and, and you can go to the next slide. A messenger line is that thin line that is actually connected to the thicker mooring line. 
That messenger line is long enough to be able to go all the way where it needs to go and they tie like what they call a monkey's fist. So it's a, it's a weight at the end of the rope that's tied on so that the guy that's throwing the line picks it up and heaves it down onto the dock where the guy then grabs this thin line and pulls the mooring line, okay? pulls the mooring line back so he can then secure the ship on. This is how hope works. Hope is something that goes out, that is attached to our faith, that enables us to move from where we currently are into a position of faith. That's what hope does. That's what biblical hope does. It's the initial connection that bridges the gap between what is and what our faith will bring to pass. That's a pretty cool life hack. That's a pretty cool life hack. Hope, hope bridges the gap between what is and what our faith is going to bring to pass. And we, when we have an expectant anticipation that something is really going to happen rather than just a wish or a desire that it will, that seeds our faith. It connects us to the thing in the spiritual world that our faith will then pull across into the natural world. Hope becomes the means by which we access faith to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Did you hear that? Hope becomes the means by which we access faith that brings the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. Oh, I'll start preaching better if you agree with me. But anyway, <laughs> one of Jesus' favorite sayings was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. When he sent out his disciples, when he sent out the 12, when he sent out the 72, he told them, when you go, tell people that the kingdom of heaven is near. It's come. It's with you. How did they know the kingdom of heaven is near? Because when they delivered the peace that they had that was on the inside of them, when they saw the miracles that were happening as they saw healings, as they brought the good news of the gospel, as they did this, people would realize and they would understand the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, this is what we have been waiting for. When God found you, you were in one place. You were in a place over here where unforgiveness, when bitterness, when those sorts of things ruled in your heart. He found you in a place of your old nature where you were living apart from his presence. But when you surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you entered into a new state. You entered into a new nature, the Bible tells us. We experienced his favor, his forgiveness. We now have access because we are the children of God to the inheritance of our Father in heaven. Our identity becomes secure. Our sense of belonging becomes secure. But the fullness of what he has for us is still a way off. We haven't quite stepped into the fullness 
of all. We haven't yet met Jesus in all of his glory, face to face with him in that way where we too are glorified. One day in the future, that is where we will be when we either go up to heaven to be with him there or when he comes down to be with us here, if that's going to be the timing that it happens, that's, that's when we will be in the full presence of him. So we once were in a place of separation, we are now in a place where we are with God, knowing his presence in our lives, and we know where he's taking us. We know what the kingdom of heaven looks like because we know what the life of Jesus looks like. And Jesus was the one who said, this is the kingdom of heaven. Look at me. You look at the Father. I only do what he tells me to do. And so we see in the life of Jesus what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Now that's why he wants all of us to become Christ-like. So when you go out and you, you walk into the atmosphere of your workplace or your school or your, your college, your university, your home, your whatever it might be, you carry with you the presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you now step into. That's now what you bring. But when Jesus said the kingdom is actually within reach, he was saying that what you can do now is pull something down out of this third place. Pull something down out of heaven into the reality of where you are now. He wants us to live with one foot towards the future and one foot in the present with our eyes fixed on our author and the perfecter of our salvation, on him, Jesus, who knows the future like we know what he's calling us into and we have an understanding of what the kingdom of heaven looks like and we say, God, I want to pull down on the inheritance. I want to pull down on what really is and bring the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of earth. Good news. And because we have this, we have his word to us, we have his love letters that, that show us what the life of Christ looked like, show us who he is and the nature of God from beginning through to end. We have these wonderful promises that are fulfilled within here that are itching to leap off the page and be fulfilled in the life of every believer. This is what they're wanting to do. Hope gives us the certainty of these promises. But I want to tell you, and I want to be real real with you, that the enemy is going to oppose this. The enemy is going to oppose hope in your life. If he can destroy hope, you won't act in faith. You see, if faith is the, if hope is the thing that connects us to faith, then all he has to do is destroy our hope and you won't act in faith. See, the enemy says when people live like this and they're pulling down of the things of heaven into the kingdom of heaven, that's a dangerous church. That's dangerous Christianity. Why? Because when you have described your future based on your past, you are living in a place of hopelessness. When all you can see is the murky, miry clay and mud that you feel stuck in because of hopelessness, you are not going to step into a place of faith that is calling heaven down to earth. So all the enemy has to do is destroy hope. 
And if I were him, I'd whisper things like this. I'd say, you know, you, you need things that God, God isn't giving them to you. I'm not sure he really loves you. If this or that doesn't happen, you, you won't be able to cope. Look at last time. You didn't cope real well then. You're not going to be able to cope again. If I was the enemy, I'd be whispering things like, this is not going to get any better in the future. You're stuck right where you are. You might even say things like, you need to take things into your own hands now. Take things into your own hands. You, you paved the way. You see, because as soon as the enemy does that, as soon as those lies get seeded into your heart, into your mind, he cuts the cord of hope and you won't step into faith. It's so easy to place our hope in all the wrong things. It's so easy to place our hope in what we see, in what we can touch, in what we can taste, what we can feel. These things that are controllable to us. But God says the kingdom of this, uh, his kingdom is not the kingdom of this world. In fact, the things of this world do not provide a firm foundation for our lives. Only when we look to the truly firm foundation of our living only when we look to jesus will we find a hope that can anchor our souls it starts and finishes with a relationship with jesus and satan diverts our mind off the eternal he places it back on the temporal you know, even with Jesus, when he was directly attacking him in the wilderness for those 40 days, took advantage of Jesus and he said, well, you know what? Just turn, that bread, just turn those stones into bread, Jesus. And he says something similar to us. But take hope. Take courage. Why? Listen to this. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Have a look at the screens. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also give glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces Character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All of this has implications on the way we live our life now and for the future. If your heart is discouraged by the difficult circumstances you face, or if it only seeks to find joy in the moment, not recognizing that the difficult circumstances are going to produce faith and hope, you are going to miss the joy of planning a hopeful expectancy for the future. You won't aim for the stars because hope's gone. You don't care. You just don't believe the future is going to be any better. We live, meaning we draw our life from what God is saying and doing, not what we want him to be doing. 
And if we focus on his perspective, our needs for now will be met anyway. Just as Jesus promised, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We have our hope in him and him in his promises. This is so much more than a type of hope that it has no sense of expectancy to it. Bill Johnson says that any area of my life for which I have no hope is under the influence of a lie. Problems, difficulties that exist in the present are invitations to bring a heavenly solution. That's what they are. That's what difficulties, the circumstances you face, the, the problems that we have in our life. Hope gives us a line to faith which brings trust in difficult and demanding situations. This then draws us to want to abide with Jesus, to be intimate with Jesus, leading us to obey him and to keep in step with him, bringing about breakthrough and leading to greater faith and hope of our future. It's like a spiral staircase that you can walk up. Hope, faith, trust, obedience, intimacy, hope, faith, trust, obedience, intimacy, and we just keep going. But if you miss that first step of hope, if you fall at the beginning of that time, you won't step out onto faith. Hope is essential. Talk about a biblical life hack that is going to unlock the blessings of God in your life. Hope is one of those things. If we lose hope, we've lost sight of God's plans and promises. We've gone out of agreement with heaven about what we will be and what we can be and what we should be right now. We'll be stuck over here instead of having one foot here and one foot here and hand calling down the, the, the kingdom of heaven into the now, into the reality of the circumstance you currently are in. You will surely keep your promises to me. He's in the waiting. That's for sure. But what do you do in the waiting? What do you do in that time? What do you do when, when you just don't know what he's going to do? You build a foundation of hope. How do you do that? You submit yourself to God. Be in intimate relation with him. Let a, a, a submission come into every single area of your life. Hold nothing back from what he wants to do to turn your life inside out, right side up. Build the testimony of the times where hope has led you to faith, where stepping out into the things of the reality of the kingdom of heaven coming into this world. And if you haven't got any of your own testimony, borrow them from hearing other people's testimony and say, yes, I want that. I want what God's doing over there. Lord, let it be in my life so also. Trust in God's timing 
and thank God daily. And as we continue and as we work through this series and we look at faith and hope and love, as we continue to look at thankfulness and generosity, I think we're going to find that these things are just take a hold of our life and just open us up into a whole new sphere, a whole new realm of walking with God. You see, I believe that he's raising up a generation. I believe there's a significance in what you are hearing tonight so that we don't continue to propagate a hopeless generation generation of Christians who would not have hope in the promises of God's word that would lead them to faith to allow the kingdom of heaven to come into the reality of where they are now. The world is done with people who will profess something and not see action on it. Hope is going to be essential for dangerous Christianity. And I believe that tonight, not even is the breaking of chains that's already happened, there's the dropping off of things like despair and hopelessness that have held us back. I believe God wants to deposit something into your spirit. I believe he wants to deposit a hope, a hope for the future, a hope that will build on faith, a faith that will lead you to intimacy, to trust and obedience that will change not only your life, it's going to change the lives of those in whom are in your influence. The world needs dangerous Christians. And the enemy, yeah, he's going to hate it. But who cares? We win. Jesus won. Love wins. We needn't be in fear. Love wins. We're going to learn about that in a few weeks' time as well. The power of love. I believe I did this this morning and I believe the same is for tonight. You see, if we want to come into the mindset of entering this kingdom reality, this third place that we're not yet fully in, but draw down and reach from it and pull it into the now. If we want to do that and we want to live like that, if we want to be those, those dangerous Christians, we have to change the way we think. Repentance is about changing the way you see something. It's coming into agreement and alignment with the way thing, the, the way God sees it and wants it to be. It's a changing of our mindset. That's what repentance is. And I think as a church, we need to repent. I got my hands up. I'm here. I'm the first standing in this room. There's been times where I've, I've, I've lived out of the hopelessness where I haven't had my eyes fixed on the future and the promises of God that he wants us to pull down for now and in this world. And he wants us to change our mind. He wants us to change our thinking. And I think there's a corporate repentance that can happen right now, tonight. And if you want to join me in that, why don't you stand with me? to say, God, I've lived with an unbiblical viewpoint of what hope is. I've lived like it's some wishy-washy, I hope so. I hope Dad gets home early type of hope. Rather than a biblical hope, assured expectancy of the good things that God has for us. And so why don't you just posture yourself? When I say that, you know, you'll hear that. So that's Christianese. Posture yourself. You might have a physio say to you, posture yourself, pull yourself up and right. When we do that before God, it's like Pastor Lee talked about right at the beginning of the message. It's like unveiling. <laughs> posture yourself. 
Come before him and say, oh God, everything I have is yours. I submit it unto you. I take the mask off. I take the veil off. I take the stuff that's hidden. And I like to do this. It reminds me that I'm not holding on like this. It's open hands. So if you want to do that, that's cool. You might have your own kind of little posture that just is a, a submissive thing of the body that reflects the heart. And God, we just present ourselves to you right now in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we're sorry that we've lived out of a hope that is not at all biblical. For the times in which it's been a, a wishy-washy hope for something better without actually a sure expectation of something good, of the promises of your scripture and in you, who you are as a faithful God. And we say, change our thinking. We're sorry, God, and we, we seek your forgiveness. And we break off every lie in Jesus' name. Every lie of despair and hopelessness, every attack of the enemy which has come against us to destroy that, that leading line of hope that might anchor us firmly and securely of the mooring line of faith. And in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would go back into every moment, every situation where despair and hopelessness have taken root within our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would just sever those things right now in the name of Jesus. That right now there might be a corporate blessing over us as a church. That we would rise up to be dangerous Christians, God. That we would be people who no longer walk in a hopelessness or walk in a less than anything other than a biblical hope, which gives us the firm foundation of your faithfulness, of your goodness, Jesus. Of walking in so that we might have one foot in the reality of now and one foot in our promised future of hope and pulling down on the resources of the kingdom of heaven so that the kingdom of heaven becomes the kingdom now. God, would you take us as your people and equip us, equip us, God, to be this mighty army that would go out, a mighty army that would go out dangerously into this world, full of hope and assurance of faith in you, our great God. We bless you and we praise you. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.